Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have a very special guest. He goes by the mad scientist of multifamily, Neil Bawa. He's a technologist and data-driven multifamily investor with over a billion dollars of assets under management. And we're going to talk today about how to select markets, a little bit about what's going on with the economy and if we're in a recession. And I think you guys are going to learn a lot from his data-driven approach to investing. So Neil, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's it's uh, nice to be here and uh, nice to uh, you know be connected with uh, more of Hunter's ecosystem. Absolutely. Um, so to start, uh, what was your first milestone in real estate? Um, it was an odd milestone. So most people consider the purchase of their first single family or their first multifamily. My milestone, my first milestone in real estate was when I walked into my boss's office in 2003. He was very upset. He said, I just talked to our landlord. They hate us because, you know, I was running a technology, big technology school. He said, uh, our students are messing up all the carpets and they want us out of here. So our, our, our um, landlord was General Motors. So they had a big building and they were leasing a part of it. And I said, great, uh, I hate them too. Um, and they're like, he's like, yeah, yes, we're, we're not gonna buy our own building. And I'm like, okay. And he's gonna say, he said, we're gonna custom build it to our own needs. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, and you're going to do it. And mm-hmm. I, you can't imagine the, the terror that I felt at that very moment, but because he was so massively good at lots of things, he was a, he was a mentor, he had lots of real estate experience. He sort of held my hand all along the way, did a lot of the work. And so my first real estate experience was building a six and a half million dollar, 27,000 square foot campus completely from scratch. Wow, that's amazing. That's definitely a unique milestone. I think most people start maybe single family, as you as you mentioned. So yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, terrifying the whole way across because we made big mistakes and then had to go fix those at the last minute. I remember one particular day where uh, we had to pour concrete the next day and we had moved, basically got the walls of the classrooms wrong by seven inches. And so at midnight, I remember being in this massive area. Um, uh, unscrewing studs and moving them over six inches and screwing them back in using concrete jackhammers because there was no time to actually get people to do that. Wow. Well, that's, that's impressive. So um, you have a background, as you kind of mentioned, in technology and, um, you know, I, I guess managing companies as well um, in the space. So definitely that seems to influence your approach to real estate in terms of being very data-driven and numbers-driven. Um, and in that, you also have a very data-driven, numbers-driven approach to selecting markets. So I'm really curious, can you kind of walk us through your process for identifying a a market and maybe you can get into even um, the neighborhoods and how you analyze the uh, qualities of a neighborhood? Absolutely. So um, what I found um, when I started looking into real estate, and this was far before I became a real estate professional that happened in 2014. Uh, this is, you know, six, seven years before that I'm, uh, I'm running a technology company and, you know, I'm, I, you, real estate is a curiosity. It's a hobby. You know, this is after the building was built and I realized the benefits of depreciation. I was a partner. So all of a sudden I went from paying 40% in taxes to 0% in taxes for many years. And I was like, holy shit, this is like nothing else, like nothing else in America. America allows you to pay 
percent in taxes. And I became aware of a certain person named Donald Trump that apparently hadn't paid any taxes the previous year because of, you know, some money lost in a deal. And obviously back then he wasn't the president. I was like, this dude, Donald Trump, you know, is not paying any taxes because of the same thing that I just did with this one building. So if he can get to a billion dollars and not pay any taxes, I can get to a hundred million dollars and not pay any taxes. That was like really yay. And that that got me started because, you know, technologists, I live in Silicon Valley, I live in Taxifornia. We're paying 50 plus percent of our income to state and local, state and federal. So we're very motivated by taxes. So I'm like, okay, let's look at this real estate thing. And surely there must be, you know, data driven, artificial intelligence driven uh, or data science driven companies in the space that should tell me exactly where to go. And I was extraordinarily disappointed to find out that there were none. Right. And I'm like, how can this possibly be? I mean, data science is a well-known thing. Statistics are a well-known thing. It, why isn't there, why aren't there tools that I can just pay a thousand bucks a year for that will tell me all of these things? And the answer is they were still being built. They exist now, to, but we're in 2022. I'm talking about 2007, 2008. So I, I was like, well, maybe I can just hack a tool myself. So I went and hired a, a team in the Ukraine. Um, I, I went and started scraping the Bureau of Labor Statistics website, Zillow, you know, Redfin and, you know, whatever their predecessors, even Craigslist to try and kind of get a data set together that I could experiment with and backtest and see what came out of it because I was trying to figure out what, what made sense. My timing was shockingly good, incredibly good, because by the time I had figured all of this stuff out, it was 2009. Remember, I had a 12 hour a day technology job, so it wasn't like I was spending six hours a day doing this. By the time I get to it, it's 2009 and I'm I realize every market in the US is dropping and like we're in the real estate catastrophe. And so most people are telling me you'd be the biggest, most like knowing what is happening in the marketplace, you want to go in on real estate right now. And I'm saying my initial data models and they were very rough are showing that this is the best time in all history to go into real estate. And people would just look at me and say, like, like I'm like a one year old, right? They would just stare or just say stupid thing like you fucking idiot, right? Something stuff like that would come out of their mouths. And I'm like, do you want to take a look at my model? And they're like, no, 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 you're, you're just an idiot, right? And they'd go on, go on with their day and I'm just sort of perplexed with what is going on here, right? Like, why doesn't this guy want to look at my data model? And then I realized that I should stop saying stupid words like data model because that just turns people off. So eventually I was like, I'm going to give it like some fancy name, right? So I started giving it, you know, fancy names like real focus or things like that. Uh, then I then I basically call it location magic, the best places in America, because I basically figured out a model that takes in a lot of input and by by, you know, and ranks cities and not well-known cities because, you know, most people know well-known cities like San Francisco Bay Area or Austin or or Dallas. They know them fairly well. There's really not a lot that I'm you know, adding in there, um, I, but smaller cities than that, right? And and basically starts ranking them in terms of the the, the benefits that you could potentially get by investing the, in, in those cities. And we were looking at like 323 cities. That's what we look at currently. And then at one point I expanded to over a thousand. And, and so I'm giving it nice names and now people are actually beginning to pay attention to me. And so I'm like, there's this concept called meetup group. And so, you know, meetup groups were new back then. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm running a technology school. I have huge conference rooms with 100 seats. Let me open a meetup group and start talking about this this location magic technology that I've come up with using data science and, and statistical analysis software. And I'm like, I'm sure that I can find like four or five people in Silicon Valley that will come in and it'll be a very nerdy, dorky conversation. I'll finally be able to talk to people that understand my language. So I posted and um, like 
four people show up the first time and like and I have this nerdy dorky conversation and then I'm like this is going really well I should post it again so I posted like a couple months later and 12 people show up and only four of them are nerdy dorky types the rest are just regular investors that are curious to see what I have to say and they really like what I'm saying a year later, Ben, the, the room is filled. I mean, there's standing room only. There's like 100 people. And I realized Silicon Valley couldn't, I couldn't have found a better place for data-driven real estate conversations than the middle of Silicon Valley. Because there's all these people from Google and Apple. And before I know it, people are inviting me to the Apple campus to, mm. to you know, do this. And they, they really get what I'm saying. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. And, and then everyone's like, so what are you selling? Like, where's this software that I'm supposed to buy? It's like, no, I, it's free. It's like, were you really free? Uh, what about the subscription? No, that's free. What about the premium version? There isn't any. So at this point, people are getting really confused about what the hell is this guy doing? The answer is, I'm just having a blast. I'm a technologist running a tech company that has nothing to do with real estate. I'm just really having fun with this stuff. Why can't you understand that? So it, like some people would think that I was trying to put one over them and get pissed off and walk away. And other people are like, maybe this guy is dumb enough to just do this because he's liking it. So I started to gather an ecosystem around me, more and more people that started to learn what I was doing and really like the data science and, and were having fun with it. And the early beneficiaries of the system were not me other people right because other people had more money than me other people had more time than me so they'd go out and find these cities and invest in them and start making a huge amount of money in my case the city that i invested in dumb decision but you know this is just being honest like i picked the top city in my location magic and i spent all of my money there and, and not that i didn't do well I, I made just a sickening amount of money but i should have picked the top five and invested mm -hmm. in all of them instead of buying, you know, 13 properties in with cash in Madeira, California, which is 144 miles from from Fresno. And as you can imagine, that story ended really well. All of those properties are 4x, 5x, you know, what I paid for them. But I, but if I picked the top five cities in my list, and some of those cities were like Austin, Texas, Boise, mm -hmm. Idaho, and and uh, Provo, Utah. Boy, I would have there. Some of those would have been 10 baggers, right? 10x or 20x. So I, there was a lot of learning. I, I was just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would stick. But my my over time, things got better. And then one day, this guy came in and said something that really stuck with me. He said, "Why are there only 100 people in here?" I'm like, "Are you trying to insult me?" There's a hundred people listening to me. I'm a nobody. I don't, you know, nobody in real estate even knows who I am. And so I'm really proud of that. He says, no, you're an idiot. There, there should be 10,000 people you know, looking at this. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I'm not starting a company. He says, no, you don't have to do anything. Just record yourself and edit it and stick it on a web platform called Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y. And it was a small platform back then. There weren't a lot of people taking courses. And now you'll have people from all over the world taking your course. And I'm like, how are they going to find me? And he's like, trust me, just trust me. Just go with it. You don't understand how this works. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I, I, on, I, it's the day after Christmas. I have nothing to do. I basically regurgitate the course to a camera, do my edits, you know, come up with some Excel spreadsheets and things like that. And I upload it to this course called, called Udemy. And I go on vacation and I come back and there are like a hundred questions in my mailbox, right? It's like the mailbox is just filled with people thanking me and asking questions and stuff like that. And I go to the website and there's like hundreds and hundreds of people taking the course. It's free, right? So they're taking the course. Um, right now, I think uh, as of uh, early 2023, if you go to um, udemy.com, that's, that's where this technology that I'm talking about is stored. There's 11,000 people taking this course, right? I'm not I don't know who these people are. I don't get their email addresses. 
they don't have to ever pay me anything. All of the things that they need for the course are there. There's no senior version. And I tell them once in a year, you can come to my website and pick up a new Excel spreadsheet because things change, you know, COVID, you know, interest rates. So those cities change. Um, and it's just sort of exploded, man. It, it, it took on a life of its own and got much bigger than me. And now people have actually taken that course and developed it further and are, have sent it to me saying, here's my version of Neil Bauer's course. And that's very flattering for me. None of it ever resulted in any direct cash to me, except for the fact that I was making money first by myself, then with 900 investors. But the, the concepts, the ideas of lo location magic have spread all over America. Absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing story and an incredible um, insight. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, could you uh, highlight some of the uh, real focuses that you, you, um, you know, you use when you're determining where you want to pick a, a location or pick a market? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with cities first, right? So one of the things is that um, what I discovered is that people would go to a party and say, hey, you should pick cities based on population and job growth and income growth and things like that, right? So they would say things like that, which are true, right? The problem was, where do you find data for 400 cities? And also how much of these things matters? So if you have two cities that you're comparing and one has 2% population growth and one has three, is really the 3% population growth city much better than the two, right? How do you tell that? Well, the answer is statistical analysis. You go back and you grab data from the Census Bureau, from you know investor profits, from home prices for years and years and years together for hundreds and hundreds of cities, you stick it in a software and you run what if analysis, right? So you basically go back and say, what if this was more important than that? You know, and you correlate it to profits. And how do you get profits? You get profits by home price increases and, and uh, multifamily price increases. So you can find that data and you say, well, if this city had huge population growth, did that really lead to all of these things? So what I found was that the metrics that create profit are fairly straightforward. Anyone can understand them. I'm, I'm sure the moment I say them, you'll, you'll understand them. The key was how much, how much and how much of a weightage to give each of these things. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. was where the secret sauce was, right? And and so I, what I did was I started with about 20 of these things. Like one of them was school quality. So you can obviously imagine school quality, right? Another one was crime. But the ones that finally made it into the five that I use for location magic were as follows. I mean, population growth, job growth, income growth, home price growth, and crime reduction. These are the five that made it. And everyone immediately like, you don't think schools are important? No, 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 I think schools are really important. My point is that when I use a data set and I use these five things that I just mentioned, and then I add in schools, I come up with the same list of great cities. So what I did was I said, if I take the schools out, do I come up with the same list? Yes. Well, in that case, why should I torture the people that are going to be using the system to stick schools in? Because every time I add more things, the system becomes more complicated. And one of the goals that I started with, another very smart guy from Apple who came in and said this, is make it so simple that people can do it in 10 minutes. Otherwise, people are so attention deficit that you could be giving away gold and nobody would ever use it. So I started with a 10-minute goal in mind. And here's the cool thing. Internally, we do this every week and we use about 200 metrics, okay? I have a secret to tell you. 95% of the cities are the same as the mm -hmm. location magic with the five metrics, 
right? There are edge scenarios that companies like us that are doing this, you know, professionally, and we have the staff and the management, and and the, and we're paying for software, paying for thousands and thousands of dollars to software, and still end up investing in the same damn cities. That's how powerful these big metrics are: big population growth, job growth, income growth, home price, and the location magic course doesn't just tell you about these metrics. It says Here's where you go to get them. Here's how much is important. Here's where to stay away from stuff like that. Here's when to make exceptions. It tells you all of that stuff, right? That's the power. It's never things like job growth. It's how much, when, and which you know time frame. Like for job growth, for example, we only look at 12-month job growth because we couldn't find any correlation between five-year job growth and profit. But we had an insanely high correlation between 12-month job growth and profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. I'm sure given how much the uh, data science approach has been helpful in location magic and in picking cities and in your business, um, again, very incredible. Maybe a harder case to predict, maybe the economy as a whole and, and whether we're going to be in a recession, when the bottom might be. I'm just curious if you could kind of illuminate your approach or more than your approach, what you expect to happen over the next maybe one to two months or sorry, one, one year to two years. And um, just, just, I want to hear your thoughts, especially given that no one has a crystal ball, but I think you may have something closest than anyone else. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that I don't have a crystal ball. I think that what I do have is uh, the data, the past historical data. It isn't as perfect as what we're doing with location magic, but because there's too many factors affecting the economy, like no one has built a grand model of the economy with millions and millions of pieces of data. I bet you we're going to build one in the next five years and it will work um, because of what I'm seeing with chat GPT. I think all things are now possible um, with general AI intelligence. But in the meantime, my crystal ball basically says, look, the Federal Reserve is extraordinarily good at killing inflation. Nine, last nine times they've tried it since ni- 1962, they've killed it nine times, right? Mm-hmm. They're also extraordinarily good at causing recessions while killing inflation. They are starts at it. So the fact that people are saying that this time somehow the Fed will not do something that they're really good at, it has no credibility with me. The other thing is the yield curve, when it inverts, you know, it 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 foreshadows a recession 100% of the time. I know people say in 1965 it didn't. Come on, it, it was close. It was within 0.2% of a recession, so it really was a great predictor back then as well in 1965. So I think it has a 100% track record. But that damn thing's been inverted. So the chances that we are not going to go into a recession, in my mind, are infinitesimally small. I think that we are going to go into a recession. The real question that people should be asking is, Neil, what kind of recession? Because there's recessions that are long and, and dreary and they really drag you through the mud and you you know all kinds of bad shit happens. And then there's recessions that are over in six months and then you move forward. And I'm the data also suggests that this recession is going to be fairly short. I think it's going to be six months long. By the way, that's the minimum duration for a recession. So they can be three months long. It has to be six because that's mm-hmm. how we define recessions in the U.S. Um, and it uh, and I think that it it'll be shallow, meaning minus one, minus two percent GDP. That tends to be not as painful as most people think it's going to be. So I think that we're going to have a recession. I think that there are going to be some downsides to it. I think multifamily during the recession suffers. I think most people that are in multifamily today, there's so many young people there that they don't actually remember all the bad things that happened during a recession to multifamily. Like you can't get debt. You can get regular debt that you're used to. And yes, you might not have been able to get it in the last three or four months, but trust me, you're not in a recession yet. There's 
many debt you know sources available today that simply won't be available during that time point is if it doesn't last more than six months then you're in a good position you wait wait it out so i, I believe a recession is is imminent um imminent but uh, it might be q2 might be q3 so right now we're modeling q3 and q4 before we're modeling q2 and q3 uh, the economy has shown so much resilience that we think that it takes quite a bit of work from the fed to put us into a recession so q3 and q4 all right, great. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know um, you had a really interesting point that you were looking at freight prices and shipping prices and then also oil prices to kind of determine when inflation may come down as a, as a leading indicator, given that, you know, it takes time for the supply chain to reach from, you know, manufacturing or countries to America. And um, I'm curious, what, what have you seen recently in the inflation data? So the, the data is actually very clean. It's very clear. It only points in one direction. Sometimes data can be muddy. You know, it, it like simultaneously points you in two opposite directions. I don't see that at all. So it's very clear that the supply chain crisis is ending. So the price, so I look at a website called Freightos, that's freightos.com. So I go in there and I look at freight prices, both to the Western and Eastern coast of the United States from China, because that gives me a sense of two very important things. Number one, supply chain. Right. So if the price of the container is going up, supply chains are getting worse. If the price of a container is going down, they're getting better. But it also gives me a sense of demand in the US because, you know, who knows more about demand than Costco and Target and Walmart because they have real time information on demand that no politician on earth has. Right. Because mm -hmm. what the Federal Reserve is looking at is six, nine months old data, or at least at least three months old data. But Target is looking at what happened on the shelves yesterday. And then Target basically then says, hey, I need to order this many of these or I should order a lot less of these. And then that shows up in shipping data before it does anywhere else, because immediately the next day, the cost of shipping will go up if Target ordered too many containers because everything's flying off the shelves. You see what I mean? You, you realize how real time this data is? I mean, it, it really literally what's happening in the economy 10 days before shows up in, in freight data, right? Going upwards or downwards. So I look at those containers. It's very, very clear to me that the supply chain crisis is ending. Note, I didn't say ended. There's some components of it that still are problematic, but it's mostly ending, right? Um, the second part that is very obvious to me is that demand is not cratering in the US, but it's going downward. So the, what the Fed is doing is significantly having effect and you're not seeing it in the economy, you're not seeing it in jobs. Why? Because everything has a three month, six month lag. So I'm seeing the sort of indicators that I would see six months before a recession in freight data. I'm seeing it in oil. Oil is now cheaper than before Russia attacked Ukraine. How can that even be possible when we force the Russians to take 2 million barrels of oil off the world market, right, using a price cap? Well, the answer simply has to be there's not enough demand. Well, the level of demand that we're seeing today, usually you see it six months before a recession. Mm, wow, that's, yeah, that's really uh, poignant data. And I appreciate you sharing. And I um, appreciate all your insights today and a lot to ruminate on, but you ready for the lightning round? Absolutely. Great. So, <laughs> so what superpower would you choose if you could choose any superpower? Um, I would choose to be to to have Chat GPT implanted into my brain. Wow. Yeah, it's only going to improve itself over time. So, um, what's your favorite book, or what's the one that's helped you the most? Um, I think the Miracle Morning has helped me the most. It's not my favorite book, but it's helped me the most. You asked me two questions, and you assumed that they would be the same. It's not. It's not my favorite book, but it's the one that's helped me the most because if you follow the Miracle Morning, you will find your favorite book.
right? Mm -hmm. the, what Miracle Morning does is it actually allows you to be the best version of yourself. And if you are, then you'll find your favorite book. So it's helped me the most. Absolutely. So what motivates you to continue every day? Um, I've tried to retire and I've realized just how horrifically awful retirement is. And that motivates me. Wow. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Um, be positive and positivity is great, but please don't under, please don't somehow take positivity and tie it to, um, be positive in all circumstances. I think you've got to be data-driven. You're using people's money. In the last 10 years, the number of very young people that have entered multifamily syndication is up maybe 10X or 100X. And that is a real problem because these people haven't had taken enough you know, hits in their life. So you, you understand that the people that used to buy buildings 10 years before you did had vast amounts of experience, right? and they use that experience, you don't have it. Well, in, in the absence of experience, please be data-driven. Mm -hmm. Great, and I know you have an incredible quote, um, but don't trust your gut. Yes, so in my mind, you know, data beats gut feel by a million miles, by a million miles. And the other one that I have is, is a quote that I wrote and that I'm very proud of, so I'll give it to you. Um, the Bible is wrong, and it's wrong by one letter. It's not, the meek that shall inherit the earth. It's the geek. <laughs> Great. So since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. What's one question you have for me? Um, so Ben, how many times in a month are you seriously sitting down and saying, today I'm just going to spend the next hour looking at the data that affects my investors' money? Um, well, I would say more than just looking at the data, I, I'm very in a, a sponge absorb as much as I can mode. So I see that that uh that time I allocate might be listening to um, one of your your seminars or listening to a podcast with um um with with uh Willie Walker. I love his uh, commentaries. He has some really good economists and experts on. But um yeah, I am, I'm constantly trying to observe and collect data in my mind. But um I'm really I mean I have I, I'm yet to learn uh. A system that where I can organize it. Um, like I, I don't know any coding like R or whatnot. Um, but I, I am looking at ways to kind of standardize it. And rather than just trying to train my gut feel, I rather train uh, a model. And I know that this capacity is coming. And hopefully one day, if I don't learn to code, I can learn to tell a computer how to code for me. Wonderful. Um, I think you're on your way. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Well, Neil, thanks for um, coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you and uh, I've learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening has learned a lot as well. Um, I know you mentioned one place where we could find you. Where else may people find um, your content and, and find you to learn more about what you have well, to I offer? Think, I mean, I'm the only Neil Bawa on the uh, internet, so make sure you, that you don't mistype my name, but go ahead and type my name in and hit enter. If you're interested in predictions that I make, you can type in Neil Bawa Location Magic, Neil Bawa Best Cities. Um, I, I use an army of virtual assistants, 21 of them at this point. You can type in Neil Bao virtual assistants and you'll see what we do with the virtual assistants and how we use them to grow our company. Um, and then um, the if you want to have access to 100% of our content, all 21 webinars that we do in a year, simply register at Multifamily University and we'll invite you to 21 of these geeky webinars. Some of them have really fun content, but they're still geeky. 
they're geeky and fun and i definitely encourage everyone to um check them out as i have as well so neil thanks for coming on neil and everyone keep making milestones before you go i just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of real estate milestones if you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support, and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.